been worshiping the Lord this morning in song, lifting our voices for he is worthy of all of our praise. Crossroads Ministries.
seated, please. We have some announcements today, and the first one is I'd like you to grab the black friendship folder that is sitting in front of you. Would you sign that, please, and send it down your row so that we can just have an account that you're here today? If you are a first-time guest, we want you to stop at our Welcome Center. And we have a gift out there for you. And also, there's lots of information out there about our church and great people to answer questions. We had a great movie night this past Friday night. We watched the Lego movie. I think we had a couple hundred people on our lawn. Great food, great fellowship. We just had a great time. Our next movie coming up is August the 28th. It's cloudy with a chance of meatballs. We're praying for good weather. We want you to mark your calendars for that next movie. Also coming up is our church picnic. We're going to have that August 23rd at Peterswood Park. It's a church-wide picnic after the second service, and it is a great time of just hanging out, eating food, playing games, and there is more information in your bulletin about that as well. Coming up also is our men's retreat, which you want to take a look at for September 11th through the 13th. Men, um, if that is you, you are welcome to go, and we would love for you to just get some information and sign up in the foyer. Also, today is the last day to sign up for our ladies' night at the Little Lake Theater. That is on August 15th. And again, stop at our Welcome Center for more information on that. Thank you. Amen. Thank you so much, Rhonda. Well, it's good to see everybody in the Lord's house. Isn't this great up here today? If you're happy to be here, say amen. Amen. You know, the Lord has just blessed our church so much this summer. The enthusiasm level has been very high. The singing has been great. Your participation is terrific. And uh, we, we just want to thank you so much for making our summer as, as awesome as it's been. I want to encourage you. You know, we have our prayer list in your courier. And I want you to really bear in this last month. You know, summer is June, July, and August. And so right now... We have this last third of summer. Let's pray as we never prayed before for spiritual development and growth in the lives of our people. But let's also pray over the events that uh, we have coming up here at the church because that's what makes all the difference uh, in the things that we try to do to reach our community for Christ. We uh, thank you profusely for your financial support through the summer. Let's stand together, please, as our ushers come, and we'll receive our morning offering together. We give credit to God for giving us the strength and the, the ability to go to work to earn a living. And uh, now we come to thank Him for, for doing all of that for us and to render back a portion of what He's given. Dear Lord, we thank You for Your love and how You take care of us from week to week. Uh, we're amazed at Your grace. We thank you that we can participate in your ministry. We, we are so appreciative, Lord, of the workers in our church that work with our young people. And uh, we thank you for the great week they've had this last week. We pray now that you'll bless every gift and every giver. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Standing still 
Okay, there we go. Okay, so I asked Sarah the other day, I said, do you think you could get up in front of everybody in church and just kind of tell us, you know, what we did for Vacation Bible School? Well, when I came in this morning, I couldn't believe it, but Sarah put like an essay together, which she's a very good writer, and she's, she doesn't think she's going to use it this time. She used it first service, but she basically wrote a two-page paper on summing up what we did for Vacation Bible School. So I'm going to let Sarah explain to you. Hi. Um, day one, we learned about when angels came down from heaven and told three shepherds that a Savior has been born in the town of David. And the shepherds were amazed, and they all went to the town of David to see the Savior for themselves. They went, they saw the Savior wrapped in a cloth in a manger. Day two, we learned about when God sent his one and only son to die on the cross for all of our sins. Day three, we learned about when Jesus entered Jericho and Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Zacchaeus took more than he was supposed to take. Jesus said, everybody was gathering around Jesus. Jesus saw, Zacchaeus could not see, so he climbed a sycamore tree. He, Jesus saw him. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. So Zacchaeus came down from the sycamore tree and said, I, I will pay four times what I took. Day four, we learned about when Jesus, when Peter, John, and James were fishing, and they fished all night, and they did not catch anything. In the morning, Jesus saw them. He told them, put the nets into deep water, and you will let down the nets and catch. You will catch many fish. So they went to head, they headed to shore, and they left everything there, and they followed Jesus. Day five, we learned about when Jesus and his friend were talking, and they were talking in private. Jesus said, believe in me, and you will be born again. Very good. Thank you, Sarah. That was awesome. Um, this was basically um, our craft coordinator, Heather Wilhelm. She did such a great job, and we want to thank her for that. And this sums up the whole week for the kids, and this is what they got to take home. But doing something a little differently this year, we were trying to teach the children how to serve. And um, we wanted to do some community outreach type things because we feel like at this early age is the best time to, to let them know that the world isn't all about them. So they didn't take something home every day. They actually did things for other people. One of the things that we did, um, we made these God's eyes and these little bedazzled, blinged out crosses for um, nursing home residents, and so we're going to be taking them in the coming weeks here to deliver them, just like a little, you know, we love you, we care about you, and this is for you, um, so it wasn't for them. Another thing we did is we kind of embraced a foster family. The children worked hard on these totes, they decorated them, and we put things in them, we pray over them. Um, there's actually six girls and one boy in this foster home, all under the same roof. And um, so we want to, again, share the love of Christ with these kids and let them know there's some kids here in Finleyville that are praying for them. And so we made these for them that we'll deliver. Um, and one of the other things you might have seen outside, we wanted to thank our Wednesday work crew because they have transformed our Canopy Kids downstairs. And they did such an awesome job, didn't they, guys? And we are so grateful. So we, 
just wanted to make a little thing. Oh, there it is. Um, about without the mortar, the bricks aren't bound together, but the mortar does all the hard work while the bricks get all of the glory. So we just wanted to thank the Wednesday work crew for really loving, loving these kids so much because they work tirelessly every Wednesday. They come in, they volunteer their time, and they have just, if you haven't been downstairs to see what it looks like down there, I encourage you to come down and check it out because it's amazing and they work so hard and we thank them for that. So that's one more thing. Um, I think I got everything. Oh, our verse. I would like Claire and Jonas. Yep. Xavier, come on up here. All week, our theme was move. Um, everybody in, in the lessons that these children learned every day, they encountered Jesus, and it moved them. It changed them in some huge, great way that Jesus impacted their lives. So that was what our verse, Philippians 3.14. Ready, guys? towards the goal to win the prize god has appointed me to win it the heavenly prize is christ jesus himself philippians 3:14 nerve thank you guys and i just also wanted to say thank you so much to all of the volunteers um, we had an amazing group of people that even behind the scenes that were not actually present during the week who let us borrow some of their items and donated things and prepared craft or snacks. And I mean, there were a lot of hands upon this and a lot of prayer. And I thank you so much because we could not do it without our church family. So the kids are going to do one more song, um, a familiar one. I encourage you to sing along with them. I know you know this one.
Amen. Let's give them another round, man. We love those kids. Thank you. I am just lit up about the kids in our church, what God is doing. And uh, when you see lives being transformed, you know, Sarah Gachowski, who, who told you what was going on there, I remember when her mother walked into the church and came to Jesus. And then she trusted Christ, and then her parents came to Jesus. And now her kids are coming to Jesus. Isn't that exciting? That's what we are all about. The gospel message changes lives. And uh, today we're going to continue. We've been talking about our series. Uh, We've now titled it Unfinished. We're in the book of Acts. It's because Acts is really unfinished. You know, we look at the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the early church, and uh, really... The uh, story continues because it's unfinished because today God is still moving and God is doing work. And I often think, what, would, what will the church, what will they read about us in 50 years from now? What will they read about, uh, about the time that we spent here in Finleyville? And uh, would, would anybody have anything good to report about what we're doing? And I would say, yes, look at what God has been doing up here. Amen? Look at what God is doing. When you see lives transformed, there's nothing more exciting than that. Acts chapter 16 is where we're heading today. Um, the Vacation Bible School, they talked about how lives were moved to Jesus. And so as I was preparing and looking for, over this this week, I was like, wow, that's really what happened in Acts chapter 16. People were moved to Jesus. And so we're gonna, I'm just going to show you a little map here. We, we picked up, the, we said that the book of Acts started down in, uh, in we'll throw the map up there, down in, uh, down in Jerusalem. And that's where Jesus, when he was crucified and resurrected, he gave his, his the Great Commission was down in, in Jerusalem. And then the gospel spread up to Antioch of Syria. And, uh, and, and so most of the first half of the book of Acts, you see from Jerusalem to Antioch of Syria. And then in the second half, we see how that the gospel has spread and it has gone over the whole entire world. And uh, this is Paul's second missionary journey that we're on. And instead of launching from Jerusalem, he launches from Antioch of Syria. And he goes on out, and, and today we're, take, we're picking up with him over in the town of Philippi, which is in Macedonia. God had told them, no, don't go this way, don't go that way, you follow me. This is the direction I want you to go. And God called him over to the, to the area of Macedonia, and particularly in the town of Philippi. And we're going to start there in Acts chapter 16, verse 11. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we went straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of the part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. So they, they, they've moved in, they're, they're coming to the town of Philippi. Their goal is to spread the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, just like we have been trying to do in Finleyville. But they came to a town, it was a, a totally new town, Philippi, and it's now time to take the gospel forward. Verse 13, and on the Sabbath day we went out to the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made and we sat down and spoke to the woman who met there. Paul is in the town of Philippi and the first thing he does is he goes down to, to where the people customarily came to, to gather and pray and that was at the, at the riverside. And what he was doing was he was actually establishing a bridgehead. Now, a bridgehead is a, is a military term. It's when the, when the troops successfully land behind enemy lines and they establish a small defensible foothold, which is expandable as the troops join the force. So the first foothold is the bridgehead. 
And so what he was doing was he went in and he was behind the enemy lines, if you will. He's going in, he wants to plant a church. He wants to see people become followers of Christ and a lasting ministry and, and disciples who will make disciples. But he goes in and he says, I'm going to start with a bridgehead. And the bridgehead was a point of common interest. It really was. Uh, the point of comp- common interest, often they would go into a town, they would try to find a few of the people that had a Jewish background because the, they had the, the, the Old Testament scriptures and they would start there and then take them on to Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah. And so not always would they go in and find people that had that common point of interest, but that would be the first place that they would check because of a common point of interest. Um, this town was, uh, was, didn't have a whole lot there wasn't even a synagogue. It required 10 men uh, to, to establish a synagogue. And they didn't even have 10 men who were willing to be part of the Jewish faith at that point to establish a synagogue. So there was a lot of people who needed Jesus there. Uh, and, uh, and he goes down. And remember, the Macedonian call was a man had called them, but he's at the riverside meeting with these women. And he starts at a common point of interest and begins to tell them about who Jesus is. Begins to, to, uh, to, to give them um, the gospel of Jesus. The first heart this morning that we're looking at is a heart that was moved to Jesus from a soft heart. A heart that was moved to Jesus from a soft heart. And we find that in verse 14. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. And what happened was Lydia was a business person. She was a seller of purple. She sold material. And, and, and uh, this lady was a, a great lady. And she, had a, a, uh, she was a God-fearer. We see that all throughout the, throughout the book of Acts, this term God-fearer. She was really a God-fearer. She was seeking God, but she needed the rest of the story. She needed to find that Jesus is the Messiah. She knew all about the Old Testament law, but she didn't understand that Jesus was the fulfillment of that law. And she didn't understand that Jesus died on that cross to pay for her sin. But what did they, what did they do? They established the bridgehead by starting with something that was a common point of interest. And I want to encourage you today, as you share the gospel with people, start with a common point of interest. I have found that today, in our world today, that the common point of interest is not necessarily the Bible. Most people don't understand the Bible in our world. It's just the world that we live in today. And God still called us to establish bridgeheads in people's life. And you know what? Some of those common points of interest that we have with people are just everyday living. Uh, sports. We all love sports, Right? Uh, we're lit up on this pirates thing right now. We're, we're, all, we're all into it. We have common interests with people. Um, I know I admire Pastor, Pastor John here because he has a common interest with a lot of people of cars. If you get around Pastor John, you hear him for any length of time, pretty soon he starts to talk about a car. He, uh, he knows the engines. He knows all that stuff. And I'm like, wow, I never, he's a pastor. How does he know all that stuff, you know? And, uh, and here he's, he's opening up and he has, he's talking about a common interest. So what do you see Pastor John doing on Friday nights? He got a classic car. He's down there with all those guys on, on the lawn. And he's, he's putting a bridgehead into people's life. He starts with a common point of interest. You like cars? So do I. And then he starts to plant seeds of the gospel. And I want to encourage you. What, what, is the, what is the bridgehead that you have with somebody in your community in the life? God has put people in your life that are not in my life. And there's people in my life that are not in your life, but we're to establish a bridgehead to go and say, okay, what is our common point of interest? Um, we had a movie night here the other night. 
several hundred people on the lawn as a common point of interest. And we're establishing bridgeheads so that people can find, hey, now, now you know, we're not, eventually we're going to be able to talk about Jesus, but we're starting here. This is our common ground. We enjoy a good movie together. We enjoy a baseball game. We enjoy a good meal together. And we begin with a common point of interest. So here's this lady named Lydia, and the scriptures tell us that she comes to God here. Uh, it says that, uh, that the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. The Lord opened her heart to the gospel message. And so from a soft heart, she comes to God. Snapshot number two is uh, somebody that was moved to Jesus from a broken heart. Moved to Jesus from a broken heart. Verse uh, 16, now it happened. As we went to prayer that a certain slave girl, possessed with the spirit of divination, uh, divination, met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. The girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. What we see here is a girl who was, who was possessed by a demon, by a demonic spirit. And she, is, uh, she has this gift of fortune telling. She's making a lot of money for her masters, for her owners. And, uh, and she is about to break loose as the, as the demon comes out of her. Um, you know what, Paul went down and it says that they were regularly, if you notice the, the language in this passage is they went to the river regularly. It wasn't like they went and had a one-time visit and this was over and people came to God. Sometimes when we're reading this, we get this misconception that, boom, this was like that. This is over a period of time. And so they went down to the river and they, they meet somebody. And so the first lady, Lydia, comes to God and Satan starts to work. And Paul says, I'm not going to allow the, the demonic spirit to be our broadcaster. Because the demonic spirit can change his mind at any time and say false things that would confuse the people. So he cast the demon out of this girl. And as she does that, um, her life has changed. And she has moved to Jesus. Um, verse 19, But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men being Jews... Um, exceedingly, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitudes rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and laid many stripes on them, and they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So what happened here was a, a, this girl with a broken heart. She had a broken spirit. Her life is destroyed. It's, it's controlled. These masters, the, the owners didn't really care. All they wanted was the money. They were happy with the money. And, and we could call this today like a, a sense of trafficking, a human trafficking. We understand that in our world. Human, traf human trafficking is a big issue in our world. It's even an issue here in our, in our city. We tend to think of it as overseas, but it's, it really is everywhere. And when somebody tries to break away from a situation of human trafficking, uh, their life is many times threatened. Their life is at stake. And that's what happened here. Their owners were upset because the money was taken away. The money was taken away. This girl once produced money because of her fortune telling, and now she cannot produce anything, and so her mo the money has been taken away. 
And when people come to Christ, often God will, will transform them. And the, the thing that once brought, uh, brought them some money is no longer there. This happened with uh, Ana Gonzalez. I'm reminded of 25 years ago, I met Ana Gonzalez up at Word of Life Bible Institute. She is now the, the wife of our missionary in Ecuador. But 25 years earlier, I met her at the Word of Life Bible Institute. She came in and she told us the story of her first husband. Her and her husband were in the jungles of Colombia. And they were ministering and they shared the gospel and people were coming to Christ. See, when we, when we share the good news, this is good news, you get to respond. And these people were responding to the message of Jesus Christ. And in Colombia, it was the high drug trafficking, the high drug carteling. And so these people were coming to Christ, and it was affecting the drug carteling business. Her husband went down on a canoe trip to take somebody out of the jungle that had been visiting, and he never returned. The guerrillas had killed him. And that was 25 years ago. And I'll never forget, she came up as a widow, just a young, young girl, and, and she was on the stage through interpreter sharing her story. And, and what an inspiration that she just wanted to follow God. And as they did, the, the enemy raged around them. That's what happened here in this situation. This young girl, this young slave girl comes to God, but yet now they're, they're upset with the guy who got rid of their money. They came to Paul and Silas and said, you're, you're the one, we're going to take you. And so they take them down, they, they rise up a, a crowd against them, and they bring these people together, and they get them, and they flog them. It says that they were beaten with a rod. They were flogged. This is, I want you to envision with me cracked ribs. I want you to envision with me blood everywhere. These people, have, Paul and Silas, are taking one for the team in a serious way. And it is persecution at its greatest moment. And now they're thrown into jail. It was bloody. It was a mess. They were beaten for the sake of Christ. They're thrown into prison. And that brings us to our third heart this morning. Moved to Jesus from a hard heart. Moved to Jesus from a hard heart. Uh, you'll notice there verse 23. And when they laid many stripes on them, when they had beat them, they threw them into, pri threw, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And I want you to think this morning, what do we know about the jailer? What do we know about the jailer? What type of guy was the jailer? Well, the, ja uh, the jailer was probably an ex-military person. It was common for a Roman soldier. He's now in his later 40s, early 50s. And what do they do? They offer him a civil service job. And so he's now into the civil service job of the jailer. And uh, these ex-military people were great jailers because they knew all about how to care for a prisoner, how to torture a prisoner. They knew all about weaponry. They knew all about not letting anyone escape. So it was kind of the easy job. Now he, was, he went from being the soldier with a, with a tough brutality to just kind of the day job now and just kind of relaxing a little bit. And this is into his retirement, if you will. But uh, he's a tough guy. He's a blue-collar guy, hard-working, ex-military, now in a civil service job. And what do we know about the cruelty here? It says that having received such a charge, he threw them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks. Uh, number one, he didn't have to, he didn't wash their wounds. He didn't care for the prisoner at all. There was no bandaging of these people. These guys came in, cracked ribs, broken bones. 
and they're, they're covered in blood, and they put them put him in prison. He doesn't care for them. He doesn't bandage them up, which we'll see that changes after he comes to God. Uh, next, he puts them in the inner cell, away from the air and the light. That was the place that would be least likely for them to escape, but it was also the place that had the least amount of air flowing and the least amount of light. Um, he also fastens their feet to the stalks. And when you think of the stalks, you know, I often think of those when, uh, when you take your kids to the theme park and, you, you know, they put, their hand, they put their head in there and their hands into the stalk and you get your nice little picture, you know, up at Idlewild Park. And it's all cute. But these stalks were not cute at all. These stalks were actually a form of Roman torture. And, uh, and what, what they would do, they would actually take the, the stalk for his feet and they would take the legs and spread them out as far as they possibly could. And they would attach those legs to that wood. And it's this big, heavy piece of wood, and it's torture. And what happens is by spreading the legs out like that and attaching them, now you have this muscle spasm all over the entire body. They've been beat. They're covered in blood, broken bones. Now they've got this, this form of torture. And on top of that, they're likely laying down on the ground. And they're in the cold, and it's a miserable situation. This jailer was a tough guy. He knew all about how to care, how to be brutal. He knew all about torture, and he was making his name known in, the, in his new job. And that, this is where the jailer is at now. And so he's got them in stocks. He's, he's got them in there. But Paul has to show the power of God in his life, even while he's in adversity, even during a time of suffering. Verse 25, look how, what Paul does. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Here we see Paul showing, um, in the face of suffering, peace and joy. Peace and joy. He's suffering. What would be the natural thing that would come out of his mouth? He's praying, and he's singing songs to the Lord. He's not just sitting in jail waiting around. He's been flogged, he's been hurt, he's in pain, and he is calling on the Lord, and he's expressing his joy. You see, there was a joy. Paul had been transformed by the power of the gospel. The gospel is good news. Jesus died on the cross and rose again for you. This is good news. This transforms our life. And when we allow him to transform our life, we come to him, we say, Lord, you died on the cross for me. I accept that free gift, and I begin this, this process of allowing him to transform me. The Apostle Paul is showing us the exhibit A of a transformed life. He's showing us somebody that is in the seat of suffering, and yet his focus is on the sovereignty of God. Um, in this day, it was very common for... for uh, in that culture particularly, it was very common for people to be expressive. If you went to a funeral, you would hear people wailing. It was loud. They were expressing their pain, expressing their sorrow. Uh, if, if somebody was happy, they would be laughing. You'd hear a lot of expression of the, of the joy. If they would be depressed, you'd hear a lot of expression of the depression. But in this instance... Uh, the other prisoners are listening. It says, and the prisoners are listening to them. If you look up that word, the word listen there means intently listening. In other words, they're leaning in. They're saying, we've been in jail. We've never heard anybody like this. We've never heard anybody happy in here. And here's these guys. They're covered in blood. They've been beaten. This is their, their, it's midnight. 
And they are calling on God. The expression should have been of negativity. And it probably would have been of most of us. But their expression was of joy. And that is something that you can't manufacture. This comes from a life that is transformed by the gospel of Jesus. See, when Jesus, when I understand who I am, that I have a home in heaven, that this is a temporary life for me, my life is transformed. I'm no longer worried about all these things. Yeah, from time to time they get in my eyes and they, I get off track. But would it be said of me that in, the, in my seat of suffering that I was calling on God, that I was praising Him? We have to hold on to the perspective of the sovereignty of God. You see, God is sovereign and there's nothing that happens out of His command. Nothing that escapes Him. And so, at the end of the day, I see a negative event that has happened in our world or in my life. I have rest because of the sovereignty of God. And I can say, well, God has a plan. And I, you know, it's, uh, I, I, I was telling the Saturday night congregation, this year, I've, uh, this summer, I've spent a little bit of time in car repairs. And so, I've spent a few hours with, a few, not a few hours, but I, I guess a few hours, with uh, different mechanics and, uh, and even a tow truck, you know. And when you're sitting in a tow truck, what am I going to do? Sit there and cry? Sit there and complain? I'm not going to tell them about Jesus. So I'm sitting in a tow truck. What do I do? I get to tell them about God. God had an appointment as a captive audience. And so I'm, I'm like, you know what? Okay, God, I'm going to go with the flow. Because you got it, Lord. It's, this is yours. Uh, Romans 15, 13 says this. May the, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow, may the God of hope. This is what makes the power of the gospel. It is hope. We have the hope. This is, this is temporary, folks. I want you to think with me about this. Every year that you live is one year less you have to live. That's pretty deep, wasn't it? Pretty profound. Every year you live, you have one year less to live. Uh, if I'm going to live to be 90, well, I just took another one off, right? One down, 40-something to go. Um, we are able to see God's perspective. The secure, this is the sovereignty of God. And if I start looking at all of my life's trials, all life's problems, all the persecution that I face, and I start looking at it through this little window of, of life here, and not through God's window. God's window is so big. And you know, we're reading the story of Paul and Silas, but we're encouraged by what God did in their life. And I want my grandchildren one day, my great-grandchildren, I want people to remember Ken Barner is the guy that was, he had the joy of God. He was the guy that was in touch with God, and God created joy, and his whole world fell apart around him. But he was singing praise to the God of the universe. He was praying. He was calling on him. Um, when people are angry, it's, it's, you know, we have these problems, anger. We have uh, hurt and pain. It's easy to express those. But Paul and Silas, they came and they were expressing the joy of God because they had God's eternal perspective. And may I encourage you, Romans 12, 2 says, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is what we all have to do. We have to renew our mind. Something negative happens, that's an automatic neg negative thought, isn't it? We automatically go to negative. Something negative happens, what do I have to do? Okay, sovereignty of God. Negative, sovereignty of God. 
and not dwell on the negative. Dwell on the sovereignty of God. Um, suddenly, verse 26, suddenly there was an earthquake, a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. The jailer had awakened from sleep. Uh, there was an earthquake. And now, you know, he sees the doors open. And why is the door open? And he's looking, and all he can think is that I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Why is he thinking he's going to die? Because the, the, the prisoners have escaped. And the punishment for the prisoners escaping, the jailer would have to take on the punishment of the one who got away. So there was death sentences for these people. And so he takes the sword. He's about ready to kill himself. And the Apostle Paul says, look at verse 28, what Paul says. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Now, these guys were beat. They're in jail. They could be, you know, there could be a mass escape. And Paul and Silas don't go anywhere. They stay inside. And as a matter of fact, they get the other prisoners to stay. They saved this man's life. This man would have, uh, the, the magistrate would have taken him, they would have killed him. They saved this man's life. Uh, they were upholding the law. Verse 29. Then he called for a, light, uh, for a light. He ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And so what, what has happened here is there's this earthquake. And, and, and he, should be, he should be killed. But Paul and Silas managed to keep the prisoners there. And this was an act of forgiveness. And so there's two things that have happened here. This guy is amazed because of the earthquake. And he's also amazed because he's been forgiven. Paul and Silas have forgiven the jailer who brutally, who's been so brutal to him, who has who's chained him up, who's put him in a stock, who's been nasty to him. Paul and Silas have forgiven him. And he comes in and he says, what must I do to be saved? You forgave me. That is not normal. Any other prisoner would be out of here. You kept all the other prisoners. You saved my life. What must I do to be saved? I want what you have. What must I do to be saved? And he replies, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And as we look at that, Think about it. The, the, this prisoner was wondering, well, what do I have to do? Give me the list. Tell me. Tell me what I have to do, and I'll go do it. And he says, here it is. Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. That's it. Whoa. It's that simple. It's that easy. But, no, it's not believe, but, not believe plus. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is the gospel that will transform our life. And we understand that nothing I can do can earn this. I cannot earn the favor of God. I can only accept the favor of God. Uh, John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Jesus said this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake and the servant, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. And think with me today about, uh, about that Old Testament passage uh, the, there was the fiery snakes, and they were biting the people, and it was venomous, and people were dying. And so God tells them, put a bronze snake on a pole, and hold it up, and tell the people, 
that have been bitten by the snake to look at that and they'll be healed. And that's it. Just look at that and they'll be healed. And Jesus says, just like Moses did that, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. And he was on a cross. And all who believe will have eternal life. And that's what Jesus did. Um, I'm reminded this morning of the story of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher. And, um, but he had to come to Christ himself as well. And if I could just share with you a little bit this morning, if you would allow me to read this to you about the conversion of Charles Spurgeon. He says, and he tells you exactly how it happened in his life. He says, I sometimes think I might have been in darkness and despair until now had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning. While I was going to a certain place of worship, when I could go no further, I turned down a side street and came to a little primitive Methodist chapel. So there's a severe snowstorm, everything's snowed down, he can't get to where he thinks he's going, and he ends up in a little primitive Methodist chapel. In the chapel, there, there may have been a dozen or 15 people. I had heard of primitive Methodists, how they sang so loudly that they made people's heads ache, but that did not matter to me. I wanted to know how I might be saved. If they could tell me that, I did not care how much they made my headache. The minister did not come that morning because he was snowed in. And at last, a very thin-looking man, a shoemaker or a tailor or something of that sort, went up to the pulpit to preach. Now it is well that preachers should be instructed, but this man had never had any instruction. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had nothing else to say. The text was Isaiah 45:22. Look unto me and be blessed. I look unto me and be you saved, all the ends of the earth. Look unto me and be you saved, all the ends of the earth. He did not even pronounce the words right, but that did not matter. There, there I was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in that text. The preacher began and he says, My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now look and don't take a deal of pains. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand a year to be able to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But then the text says, look unto me. And he continued, Many of you are looking at yourselves, but it's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Some look to God the Father, but he says, look unto me. He says, we must wait. Look unto Jesus Christ. Look unto me. Some, want, some, some you say, you must, we must wait for the Spirit working. You have no business with that just now. Look to Christ. The text says, just look to me. Then the good man followed up with his text in this way, and he says, Look unto me, I am sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I am hanging on the cross. Look unto me, I am dead and buried. Look unto me, I have risen again. Look unto me, I ascended to heaven. Look unto me, I am sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner, look unto me, look unto me. And Charles Spurgeon says that night, the pastor looked down at him. There were only 15 people. He looked at him, and he said, Young man, 
just fixing his, ha- his eyes on him, he said, young man, you look very miserable. And he says, well, I did, but I had not been accustomed to that type of remark from the pulpit. Um, and he continued, he says, you look very miserable, and you always will be miserable, miserable in life, miserable in death, if you don't obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved, saved from the punishment of your sin. Then lifting up his hands, he shouted as only a primitive Methodist could do, young man, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but to look and live. And Charles Spurgeon says, I had been waiting to do 50 things. But when I heard the word look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I have almost looked my eyes away. Look unto me. That is all that it is. Look unto Jesus. Believe. That man, Charles Spurgeon, his life was changed. And God used him to impact people. People are still reading his words today. God told the Philippian jailer, believe. Believe. This man had a hard heart. And from his hard heart, God transformed him. And he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. That's powerful. You look at people and you say, somebody has a hard heart, they'll never come to Christ. This is an example here. God loves hard hearts. Uh, The Puritans have a good saying. It says that the same sun that hardens the clay melts the ice. And that's exactly what happens in all of our life. So I ask you this morning, is your heart the soft heart? You're coming in, maybe you have a, a, a kind of a basic, you, you know uh, some of this story. Or maybe your heart's a broken heart. You have, you have all these issues that have been in your life. Or are you the heart that's hard? God says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's so simple. You know, all these kids that were up here, isn't that exciting what God is doing Several of these kids this week came to faith in Jesus Christ. A child can believe, and it's just that simple. And sometimes we want it to be harder. But God says, it's that simple. I've done all the work. You don't have to do anything. Believe. And so I ask you this morning, will you accept God's gift of eternal life? Will you open your heart and just simply invite him in by faith? That's all. There's no church to join. There's no money. Nothing. There are no strings attached. His love. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin. He came back to life again. This will transform your life. You you will have that joy. That joy that Paul and Silas could have in the middle of the night, praying and singing praise to God. That's what he gives us. He doesn't take away the pain. He gives us joy through the pain. And that is the gift of God. Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'd like to ask maybe some of you in here today, maybe you have Jesus as your Savior. You've, you've had this, but you don't have that joy. Something's missing. You're, you're so focused on so many negative things that are happening all over the place. Guess what? The world is filled with negative things, and there are many more that will come. Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles. But my peace I give you. This morning, how will you respond? Where's your heart? Guess what? God needs all these hearts. 
He needs the soft heart. He needs the troubled heart. He needs the hard heart because he loves you. And that's why he went to the cross. Let's bow in prayer this morning. As we close this morning, I'd like to just ask you to to think for a few moments and reflect on who Jesus is. He is an awesome God. He loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. And he did that for you that you may have eternal life. I'd like to ask you today to, to respond. Where's your heart? Maybe you're the soft heart. You, you've heard some of the things of God. Maybe you're a religious person. But God says it's about Jesus. It's not about any religion. It's not about where you went to church, where you were at as a kid. It's all about Jesus. So I'm inviting you today, whether you have the soft heart, maybe you've had a troubled heart. There's so many things in your life that have troubled you and you need Jesus to set you free. Or maybe you're the hard heart. Been tough. I can do this. I can handle this. I, as a matter of fact, I've been tough on other people. Jesus died for everyone in this room. He died for you specifically. Will you accept his love? I, I plead with you this morning. Open your heart to Jesus. Will you just look? Just look unto him. If that's you, I'd like to lead you in this prayer. It's so simple. Just like the children have prayed, I'm going to lead you in a prayer and you can, you can invite Jesus into your life today. Would you just call on him and just say something like this quietly inside to God? Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I've fallen short of your standard of perfection. But I thank you, Lord, that you died on the cross for my sin. You paid the price. You came back to life again. And today I believe I trust you. I invite you into my life right now. If you just prayed that prayer, I congratulate you and welcome you to the family of God. I want to encourage you to share that with somebody that you care about and just say, hey, today was a new day for me. God touched my life at church. He stepped into my life. And for others in here, maybe you've been, you've accepted Christ, but you've gotten distracted. The issues of life have complicated life, and you've forgotten the sovereignty of God, and you've lost your joy. The gospel transforms us. That's part of the gift of God that he gives you is this joy. Maybe you need to go back and refocus. Refocus. How about the hearts around you that God wants you to, to, to communicate with? What are the bridgeheads that you're planting in other people's lives? God has a big plan. Just join Him in it and relax and know that He's God and that He's, he's doing the work whether, whether you understand it or not. Will you respond to Him this morning? Father God, we come before you and I thank you, Lord, for your message of salvation. I thank you that that you saved us. You died on the cross. You came back to life again so that I might live, so that everyone in this room might live if they'll just believe, if they'll just look unto you. 
God, I thank you, and I pray that you will transform us by the power of the gospel, Lord. That's what you did in the early church. We see the message of Jesus spread all over the world, and it transformed people's lives. God, we ask you to transform us. We can't manufacture this. I can't do this, but I can look. I can believe. And I pray that you'll do that in our church. In your name we pray. Amen. As we close our service, we sing unto the Lord. I ask you just to respond to the Lord. If you'd like to come and kneel and pray, feel free to do so. But let's end as we rejoice responding to Him. I'm forgiven because of what He did on the cross. people said amen thank you Ken for that excellent teaching message for us today we all need that message don't we because we run into soft-hearted people out there they're just right on the edge of the kingdom of God and all they need is a little help to get over we run into a lot of broken people and uh, the Lord saved that demon possessed girl to 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 make sure the people knew that that's the reality of the church. Church is made up of all kind of people. Soft-hearted, professional people, broken people, and the old jailer. The guy that no one ever had any hope for. He came to Christ too. Let's keep that in our minds this week.
It's so great to have you in the service today. Thanks so much for coming. Turn around and shake hands today with as many people as you can. God bless you. You're dismissed.